Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. If you want to look at these, you can find them, The Bible Project. They have a series, the YouTube uh, has all of them, and they have their own website. I think it's thebibleproject.com that you can look at those. And again, a lot of reviewing to the things that we've looked at. There's some differences, I think, in some of the things that um, I went through, but I think you get a, a gist of it. I don't think anyone can be absolute when it comes to the book of Revelation, except a few things, definitely. Even at the end here, there's some things that I have questions about uh, that we'll get into. Um, but let's start by reading verse 1, chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down to the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy written in this scroll. We saw in chapter 21 that this idea of heaven was actually a city, the new Jerusalem, and that the city was actually the bride of Christ, and the bride of Christ was the followers of Christ. And so there's a lot of symbolism that is taking place here with the city and with what is going on in and through the city. And so we see here that there is the water of life and we see the tree of life that is on each side of that river. And this is reminiscent of the garden <coughs> in chapter <clears throat> excuse me, in the early chapters of Genesis, as well as in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel refers to the garden as being fulfilled by the temple. And here 
the temple or the new Jerusalem because there's no need for a temple anymore because it is now the bride and the gods and God's presence is dwelling there in their midst. And so we are seeing a fulfillment come come about, right? We saw from the very beginning God's setting creation. We saw a brokenness in creation and we're seeing all things being made new and, and it's fulfilling what God's intention was way back in Genesis and it's showing up here. John is in a, a very moving way reworking this imagery as he sees the water of life flowing, sparkling <clears throat> on its way through the city streets and out into the country beyond. Uh, Ezekiel is the rebirth of actually Genesis chapter 2, and John is actually more focusing. The tree which grows is the tree of life. The tree which was forbidden to Adam and Eve now is a tree uh, that provides life for everybody. Thank you. And we saw that the New Jerusalem was square, wide, long, and high, very much like the tabernacle or the, the temple and the places where God was going to dwell. And so, again, very symbolic. And his vision sees how now the social, cultural, political problems and pains the, the power under this corruption is passing away and his presence, the new Jerusalem, a type of centerpiece, just like the Holy of Holies was the centerpiece or the central part of the temple. This is a symbol of a central part where God's presence is there, but now his presence is filling the whole earth. And we see that it is supposed to be a priestly work. It's been that way since the beginning, right? Gathering up praises of all creation, a royal priesthood. The source of healing through God's rule is established. And where Adam and Eve were banned from the, the garden and from the tree of life, living in a condition continually broken, we see the that now the tree of life is a healing for all the nations, for all the world. And God describes the servant of God and the lamb not only worshiping in verse 3, but also seeing his face in verse 4, and also reigning forever with him, ever and ever in verse 5. From the beginning, there was the idea of that royal priesthood, and here is what it looks like. Again, from the city, which is a bride, the bride, which is the lamb's followers, from them healing uh, stewardship flows, from this healing stewardship flows the goodness of God, the grace of God. And this is how God will show that his creation was intentionally good, is by restoring it and it actually being good again. John's vision is of a new Eden, but not just 
a garden. Now it's a city. It is grown. It is grown and is including people. It's including vocation. It's including all of humanity and all the things that human beings do. Uh, it is expanded from just that one place in the garden, and we still see the river, and we still see the trees, but now it's become a city. And it's a combination of both of these things as it's taking place. And as this starts to unfold, we, we see that there's a curse removed, right? There is no longer a curse Remember in Genesis the curse that it was toil that man was going to have to, to do all these things. And so there is something that has changed where that curse that was there at the beginning is now no more and is being, uh, again, taken back to God's intention for how things were supposed to be. Let's read verse 8 through the bottom or the end of the chapter. I, John am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. We've talked about this before, how John is putting this in here because there is a human tendency to worship the wrong things, to worship people, right? To worship, uh, I mean, idolatry is something that is so prevalent. We even have, you know, American Idol. We have all these things that take place where we want to place people on pedestals, whether it's musicians, whether it's, you know, uh, politicians, whether it's uh, clergy. This idea of putting people in a place and giving them homage, and that, again, was very central to Rome and how Rome operated. And so he is probably putting this here to just put that reminder that not even this messenger bringing about this revelation is to be worshipped. And so it is there to help us, again, put our focus, worship God, right? That is the bottom line of this book. Don't worship the beasts. Don't worship the, the false gods. Don't worship the, the lure of these things. Worship God. Verse 10, then he told me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Do not seal up. That means it's supposed to be dynamic. It's supposed to be not just read, but lived. And we've been talking about the time or the kingdom of God is near in Matthew chapter 5. And it's the same thing here. When he says near, it means it's present. It's at the door knocking. It is right there. And so... There is an urgency that is taking place. And we start to see in this last chapter that there's actually a pace that picks up. It seems like everything's just kind of going, 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 going. There's some repetition that we're going to see taking place and this kind of pushing forward 
almost to try and help us to stay excited. You know, when you're watching a movie and all of a sudden the music changes, it's telling you something, right? If it starts getting faster, you know, there's going to be something exciting happen. If it's, you know, lull going on, then it's a transition maybe. But here the pace is picking up because he's trying to emphasize something and help us to understand that. Don't seal up the words of this prophecy. Let them continue to be dynamic. Let the words, all the things that have been talked about here, about worshiping God, putting God first, not giving in to the worship of things or of power or the pagan way of doing things, to, to be faithful even in the face of, of persecution, all these things. Let these things be alive. And you can imagine to the people at the time this was written how important it was to to let these things resonate in you. Let them stir up. Let them continually be reminded in you so that you know this is the truth, right? He tells us that this is trustworthy. This is something that we can count on. And so do not seal up the scroll because the time is near. Verse 11, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magical magic arts, the sexual immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Let me ask a question here. Didn't that all end in chapter 21 in the lake of fire? Why are they outside the gate now? Let's continue. We'll talk about that a little bit more, just to throw that out there, right? Oh, I thought that was all gone, but now we see these things are outside the city. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take of the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from the that person, any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in the scroll. He who testifies of these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. At the end, we see this ringing this ringing of blessing, and this ringing of continued warning. The pace, as I said, is quicker, and there is a rep repetition 
that seems to be taking place here, this I'm coming soon, I, I am coming quickly, this repetition is meant to bring more emphasis. Just like if they say, truly, truly, I say to you, it is supposed to build and build and build, and that's what's happening here. And all that we've seen in, the, in this book, the, the letters, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, and all that surrounds them has come to this crescendo, right? Has come to this climax here, pointing us back to the beginning of God's intention for humanity and for creation itself, that the world is going to be, again, what God intended it to be, and that is good. And I know it's hard to see, and I know it's hard for us to imagine, imagine how much more difficult it was for them in their condition but as we move forward, we see that there is a river that is life, and it is moving, and nothing will stop this river. Everything else that comes in the way is going to be overcome or, or surrounded by or indulged in, drenched in this river. And if you are not part of this, well, then let those who continue to do these other things, the evil, let them continue to do those things, as he said. Um, it is to continue in whatever we are going to do, the vile person, verse 11, let them do wrong, those persons. If you want to continue to do wrong, you continue to do wrong, but this is coming through and this is going to happen. And so then there's the need to wash our robes so that we can partake of the life that God has given. Continually we see, I'm coming soon, I am coming soon. This was Israel's hope. And it was Israel's hope for years. Malachi, 400 years earlier, warned the careless priest that the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple. It's like, you're seeking God. He's suddenly going to come to his temple. Ezekiel also promised that the Lord would come back when the temple was restored because it had been defiled, and that's in Ezekiel 43. But that hadn't happened, right? The restored temple was at the heart of the hope for Israel for years. And at no point in the 400 years after these things were written by Malachi, by Ezekiel and, and the prophets, at no time did anyone report the kind of vision that Ezekiel had had in mind or experienced that might correspond with the vision of God's glory in the temple as it took place in Exodus and as it took place in Isaiah chapter 6. The Lord had not returned, but he would come. That was their hope. The hope of God's coming back was at the heart of the hope for the restored temple, which was itself at the heart of the hope for the restored Israel. The hope is he's coming soon to restore the temple, to restore 
us into our right place. But now there is no temple. There is a different type of restoration. The early Christians believed that the promise had been fulfilled completely in Jesus. He had come to Jerusalem, to the temple, as he had been as had been promised, but they saw the promise fulfilled even more completely by Jesus being lifted up on the cross, raised from the dead. Remember, they said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. That's so important. The temple was the restoration. God is going to return his glory where? To the temple. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will Raise it back up in three days. He is talking about the restoration, the hope, the promise, the coming of the Lord that they are looking for. This was the return of the Lord to Zion. This was when the glory of the Lord was revealed for all flesh to see together. They also held on to the hope that God, through Jesus, would establish his throne as they both were able to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Right, Both God and Jesus say that. I am the Alpha and the Omega, he who was dead and is alive forevermore. But yet we see in chapter 21 and 22, I am the Alpha and Omega just being God and his throne. And there is this declaration that God is going to bring a more full and complete restoration, and it's going to happen through the person of Jesus. And then multiple times we read the coming soon. Of Jesus. The church experienced the Lord coming to them in many different ways. First, in his actual coming to them, but also in their worship of him, in their prayer to him, in the witness of the martyrs, and even at the time of their own deaths, there was the promise of God coming to them. And this all meant that the hope was not set in a vacuum. In other words, it wasn't something in secret. It wasn't silent, but was reinforced daily in their lives. It was reinforced as they saw God work among them, as they saw him continue his promise. The echo in these verses, I am coming soon. The time is near. I am coming soon. Yes, I am coming soon. Have a great depth of meaning. It's not just I'm coming in the future. It is I am coming to you at all these times and is present and is coming to you in the answer of prayers and is coming to you in the fulfillment of my promise to you. I'm coming to you in the time of worship in my presence with you. I am coming to you. And so it is not just seen in a static way off in the distance, but is seen in a dynamic way that is taking place constantly in the life of a follower of Christ where he is coming to us over and over and over again, pointing to the way of when he would come to us ultimately and finally. But there is a lot broader meaning meaning than just off into the distance, at least I believe so. There is the Repeating in verse 6, these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 7 and 9, God's blessing on those who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. What, what was it that they were to keep? As we've gone through this book, what would you think are those who keep right the prophecy of this book? Well, it was being faithful. 
it was enduring. It was holding fast the testimony that it was not compromising your belief and giving in to the seduction that was around them. That's keeping the prophecy. That's holding on to these things in spite of the trial and persecution. And then he says, do not seal up these words. Again, they're, they're dynamic. They, they are to be living in us. They're not to be put on a shelf as something that you have already read. Oh, been there, done that. No, keep these close to you. Keep them at heart. All right. Blessed are those who wash their robes they, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Because outside the city are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, sexual immorality, and murders. And so once again, we see that this book was never meant to be taken in chronological order. Because all these people were supposedly cast into the lake of fire in chapter 21. But John has them now, again, outside the city. And John isn't worried about it being inconsistent because that's not his point. And I think it's important that we don't make it the point either. Those who were in the lake of fire before are now outside the city. The point is he's coming soon. The point is his presence is near. His kingdom, his people, his working, his renewing is at hand. That's the point. The point is to be cleansed by the things that he has done, washing our robes and living like the lamb. That is the point so that we can be partakers of the life. And then is this beautiful invitation from the Spirit of God and from those who are filled with the same Spirit, the Spirit who has enabled the martyrs to keep their testimony and to bear witness, the Spirit who has given voice to worship and has expanded that worship in all creation. In verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I love that it is the spirit and the bride in the same voice saying the same thing. Right? What makes the bride of Christ? It is the spirit of God. The spirit and the bride say, it's interesting that this invitation comes right after we saw those outside the city. Because who is the invitation for? It's for all those who are here. Right? And so it seems there is a continuing reaching out to those who are on the outside of, in this image, city. And so we have to not be so locked into, you know, this 
thought that, okay, the time will come when then we don't have to do anything anymore. It doesn't seem that that's the focus of John's message here. It, it seems the focus isn't that one day there will be no, no more work to be done. It seems the focus is there will always be the presence of God at work inviting us to come. He will always be present, but even more so and more so and more so as time goes on. And in the middle of the harsh reality that they were living in was the beautiful invitation to have their need quenched by the water of life, to have the Spirit come and give them this life that anyone who thirst could come. Anyone who heard could come. And he warns them then to be careful, right? Not to add or take away any of the things of this prophecy. And what is the warning? Not to take, you know, and, and I've heard people say, well, you can't add or take away. It's at the end of the book, so it means all the books of the Bible. I don't think that's what it's talking about. I've heard people say, well, it's even paraphrases. You can't paraphrase the Bible. You have to have your word for word, which, again, it's written in Greek. It's written in Hebrew, so translating it then might be a violation. Again, we get so literal in some of these things, but I, I think... And all the things that John is warning them throughout this book is this idea of, again, not becoming lukewarm, this, this not compromising a faith that ends up losing its power, uh, of not giving in <clears throat> to the seduction of the world and the wealth of this evil empire, this Babylon, of maintaining the identity of Christ in the middle of all these things, I believe that that's at the heart of what he's saying here when he's telling us not to add anything and not to take away, that we have to keep this dynamic of who God is and worshiping God alone pure, and it has to stay that way. That is the desire, right? Anyone could come, but this is what you're coming to. You're, you're coming to a God who is jealous and is dynamic and is love, but is holy. You're coming to a God who will not tolerate the things that were talked about that we saw in the Babylon, in Rome, the compromise of faith. He, he, cannot tolerate those things will be outside the city as he says and he concludes he who testifies these things says yes i am coming soon amen come lord jesus and once again we see i am coming soon and you can't help but think or at least you know i do well that was a long time ago he wrote that I'm coming soon. So is it not true? Or is it just a different definition of soon? A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. Or again, is it maybe even deeper than that? Maybe it's more 
encompassing. Remember I talked about some of our language that is very illustrated. Hey, I, I need to, I'm late, I got to fly, right? Well, you're not really going to fly, but you're in a hurry. Maybe I'm coming soon isn't so much a chronological time, but it's something more involved. And, and it, it's something that we can actually partake in now not diminishing a future event, but not letting a future event diminish the present reality of his coming soon and the urgency for us to recognize the presence of God here now coming to us in a constant, continuing way. And amen, come Lord Jesus, that's what we want, right? This is all what we want. And it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. I love that. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Because it's all about the lamb who was slain. That's how it's conquered. That's how we conquered. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Man, it got cold in here. Yeah. It's cold. Um, (laughs) (laughs) any questions or comments any thoughts on this final chapter yeah I mean there's so much I mean in this book and throughout scripture these little references like the temple you know destroy this temple why was that such a big deal you know well it was their hope right and Jesus now links himself to that, you know, um, it's just powerful, you know, how those things are kind of connected. And so we want to kind of see those things and, and allow them to be present, you know, still with us. Well, I, I think it has to go with him not sealing the book and it's dynamic. And it's like, these people will continue to act like these people, yeah, and these people are going to act like these people, right? And so um, I think that's the point, you know, um, let those who, you know, does wrong continue to do wrong, let the vile, don't let that stop you from doing right, don't let that stop you. And again, it's, if you try and take a chronological view of this book, well, I thought that stopped, right? Didn't we see the end of all that? But now he's saying, let those who do wrong continue to do wrong. Let those who do right continue to do right. It's continuing. And and so, again, I think a bigger picture needs to be embraced here where he's talking about more than just, you know, chronological events. He's talking about something that is taking place in the present time and is going to be continuing to take place throughout time, you know, until it leads to some conclusion that God only knows how it's going to and when it's going to take place. Um, I I think it's important to see that John has a present day attitude for the believer at that time. And I think we should adopt that present day attitude as well. You know, that it's not like, okay, I can't wait till it's all over yeah, of course, we can't wait till the difficulties are over. Of course, we want no more tears and no more sorrow. Of course, we want those things. But 
he's near. He, he's coming soon. And, and there needs to be that mentality now, not of one day it's going to be over, but I am to embrace that reality now in whatever way I can. And I think that's just reaffirming that this is happening around you. It's going to continue to happen. It's not that he's coming back. It is. He is coming today. He's coming today in our uh, prayers and in our time of worship. His spirit is coming to us now, uh, and it's just going to accelerate and be more so in the future. But I think the mentality, again, it's we go to that chronological mindset, but I think it is more than that. I think it is more than, oh, yeah, one day he's going to come. It's like, no, he's coming. Yeah, he is coming. And he's coming to you in your prayer, and he's coming to you in the time of worship, and he's coming to you in being faithful to you, and he's coming to you in strengthening you to be faithful, and he's coming to you in all these ways. He, he's coming to the martyrs and helping them, you know, to live this life. He's coming to them, and they are looking for that right here, right now, to come to them and to help them in their time of need, and they're looking for the future as well. You know, it's not one or the other. It's kind of a present and future hope. And it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be something that shows up here now and something that they look forward to in the future. That's how I see it, because I constantly see a present and a longing. Again, it's supposed to be just building, right? It's like, hey, I've been here. I'm going to do that. I'm around you, right? I'm from the beginning, I'm to the end, I'm all here, right? Because in their present situation, that's what they were hearing, like, well, God, where are you? Hey, I've been in the beginning, I'm at the end. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last. I am the beginning, I am the end. Wherever you are, I am there, right? Again, there's a present tense that's taking place. You know, we look at it, oh, he's always been in the past, he's always going to be in the future, but the whole point is he's always, period. I think that's what he's trying to emphasize there. You know, and that's why he repeats that a few times throughout this book. It, the beginning and end, Alpha and Omega is something that wherever you are, God is. You know, he will always be in that present condition. Um, and then the idea, well, if he's always there, why is he coming soon? It means he's going to be there for you, and it will happen soon. There is an anticipation and a longing doesn't feel soon yeah and, and again what a, a beautiful illustration of you know well wasn't god with daniel in that time of prayer oh yeah you know but the answer he was looking for came at this time but the prayer that was taking place was god with him in the meaning of that middle of that time you know i i look at it as God has given us a, a toolbox in Christ, and life is the material around us. And we tend to look at the situation, and God looks at what he's given us to work in the situation, right? It's like, well, oh, I don't have a job, or I don't have the health, or I don't have, you know... Uh, car or wife you know it, it can go on all these things that we look at that we want 
And God has given us tools to build life around us in a way that is going to uh, represent him well. And so it's kind of up to us to take the tools that he gives us through Christ and build a life that we want. And it's work, and sometimes it's slow work, and sometimes it's painful work, and sometimes um, we need help in it, right? But to me, getting angry about my life is, if, if it's temporary, okay. But it can become dangerous when that becomes, this is my life. And then you don't realize you have tools that you can still work and build life around you. You know what I mean? It's like, well, can't you do something with where you're at and with what you have to, to change a little bit? I mean, because you have people in awful conditions doing incredible things, yes. right? And it's not because – it's because of how they see it. You know, they, they see potential even in what we would see as dire situation, it's not without the ability to make a difference or change. And if we lose that perception and that hope, then we start to uh, get angry or complain and get locked in it. I complain all the time, right? Yeah, it, it does. Well, and, and I know you've done that, and I know you've done more, too. I know you've gone to libraries, mm-hmm. right, to try and help get some work things, and you've, you've helped yourself by doing those things, right? Mm-hmm. And so by you being active in that time of frustration and anger and not settling for it but actually being a proactive person involved with it, you've changed your mindset in a lot of those areas, right? And you can continue to change it. And I say that I don't want to make light of your situation, right? I don't want to make light or just say, hey, Kirk, just don't think that way because I still think that way, right? We, Yeah, we all think that way. I just, I just don't want you to feel that there is uh, no way out, that it's hopeless or um, to, to make an excuse for yourself, right? Because you haven't and you've done well and you can still – do well right yeah and sometimes we just have to get that little okay second wind got to do it right and it's okay to cry and it's okay to hurt and it's okay to you know yell and get that frustration but it's not okay to stay there right you know what i mean it's not okay to get locked into that mindset that does not see the tools god's given us to do something i don't i don't think i understand how he works. I just know he's always, like you said, I work. You know, I mean, it's helped me to understand that if I ask for bread, he won't give me a stone. You know, and sometimes circumstances seem like a stone. You know, sometimes things seem like a serpent rather than a fish. But maybe I'm just not seeing all of what's going on. Or maybe I'm seeing, you know, an incomplete you know, picture of what's taking place. Um, Or maybe I'm not completing the picture that needs to take place, Uh, you know. And so that helps me to just not be locked into like, okay, God, how could you, you know. 
why would you do this to me? Um, I don't know. Those questions do come up. You know, when Paul writes things like, if the Spirit of God, you know, if the Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies. You know, statements like that, if we have the Spirit of God, then it's almost as if, you know, when we get up in the morning, God would say to us, what are we going to do today? You know? So, Kirk, what are we doing today? You know, God telling you or asking you that in the morning when you wake up. Sam, what are we doing today? Instead of me, God, what are you doing today? God's asking you, what are we doing today? Right? Because the Spirit of God dwells in me and his work is going to take place in and through me and I am to be, you know, that evidence. It's the Spirit and the Bride who say come. Um, Then what are we doing today? And having that mentality instead of, God, what are you doing today? And I'll just, you know, wait for you to do something and then hopefully I'll understand what it is and then I'll follow you. Maybe having a more proactive, what are we doing today? And God asking us, you know, so that we are kind of, it's not that we're driving, it's just we are the ones, you know, who are active in what's happening. Yeah, I mean, like anything, you know, fear, anger, anything can either paralyze us or it can motivate us, right? What's that, Yoda? <laughs> well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time, this book, and we are grateful for you, Spirit speaking in us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be part of your voice to the world around us, Lord. Thank you for the Spirit who dwells within us, who guides us, who comforts us, and leads us into truth. We continue to do so, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.